in a series called Who We Are. Uh, this is uh, a series that really kind of came out of 21 days of prayer and fasting and really just a reminder to us as to what God's called us to be about as a church and as Christ followers. This isn't just uh, who we are as Lifehouse Church, but who we are as Christ followers and what it is that we are passionate about and what God's called us to do. I want to read from Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, Joel's getting a little, uh, little bit of... Uh, platform today. Joel doesn't get a lot of platform in the Bible, uh, kind of looked over oftentimes, uh, but this is, this is his day, Joel's day today. Uh, Joel 2.12 says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. <laughs> yes. Uh, Joel 2.25 says, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. Uh, I want us to come from this perspective that it's easy in our faith, uh, in, in our relationship with God to, over time, get to a place where we have become very comfortable and very, uh, I'm going to use the word complacent, uh, and, and I don't mean that as any sort of shaming. It's just the reality of, of what takes place. We get very comfortable in our faith, and, and we get to a place to where uh, we, like if I were to use the, the analogy of a fire, and I'm, I'm going to give you an example here in a second, it's, it's almost as if uh, we start out on fire for God, and o- over time, it seems like that fire gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And Joel is reminding us that we are to return back with our whole heart to him, with our whole heart. We're coming out of a time of fasting and prayer, a, a dedicated time in this. And, uh, and I want us, as we just continue on into 2022, that that this would be a year where we return to him with our whole heart. And I believe that when we do, as I've said the last couple of weeks, when we will have the best year of our life, if we have the best year of our life spiritually, if we return to him with our whole heart, he will give back to us some of the things that maybe are missing in our life. Matthew 16, 18 says this, I will build my church. This has kind of been the theme verse for this series. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. He loves the church. He being God, like God loves the church. And we are the church. He loves you. He cares about you. In fact, you may or may not know this, but the church in Scripture is referred to as what? Anybody care to just shout that out? I know you're like, this is one of those churches where people can just yell? They're the what? The bride. So the church is the bride of Christ. How many of you uh, are in an arranged marriage or have been in an arranged marriage? Anybody? Uh, be brave enough to say in, in first, sir, somebody raise their hand in the back. Uh, okay, a- anybody watching online? First service, not a forced marriage, I said an arranged marriage. <laughs> first service, uh, we actually had somebody who used to be in an arranged marriage and somehow got out of that arrangement. Uh, 
most of the case in modern times, there's, at least in America, we're not dealing with an arranged marriage situation, right? But, but my understanding of it, I think we all kind of get the idea that an arranged marriage is when you take this person and this person and you tell them they're going to be married. There's probably an exchange of some gifts or some sort of status in life. And, and so they're getting married and they're now forced to fall in love with each other, to have a passion for one another. And I wonder if at times our relationship with God can feel like an arranged relationship. And I, and I, I had this at the end of my message in first service, but I'm going to mention it now because I, I do think that maybe this is for someone uh, either in first service or second service that you have been going to church and attending kind of the practice of Christianity for a long time, but this feels to you like an arranged relationship. It feels like a, an arranged marriage. And in an arranged marriage, it's just you're going through the motions. There's not a connection of of passion and love for one another. Now, maybe that builds over time, but most of the time it doesn't end well, as opposed to choosing the one that you marry, choosing the one you fall in love with and, and spend time with and, and get to know and have intimacy with. Like That is a relationship that is founded on love and acceptance. And I would argue that if we are in and we view our relationship with our king, that's what scripture says, our king, we are the bride, he is the king, that if our relationship with the king is this forced relationship, it's going to be a rough go. It's going to be tough. I see a church where people have found a relationship with God instead of religion and where living for God is no longer a duty but it's a delight. It's something you enjoy. It's something, listen, if, if you are in an arranged marriage, it's not a delight. It's a duty. And I wonder if we were to approach our relationship with God with that kind of fervor and that kind of delight that it's not just an arrangement but that we have a passion for our king. Matthew 15, 8 through 9 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, what happens in an arranged relationship, an arranged marriage, is that you go through the motions. You say, might even say the right things, but there's not the connection there's not something deeper. Their hearts are far apart. The church was never intended to be a boring, sad place. And somewhere over time, it's kind of morphed into this place that's just it's boring. 
There's supposed to be a passion. There's supposed to be an engagement and a joy and a love. The, thing, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, a, a love, a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness, a goodness. Like there's, there's something about that that when we gather, this is an opportunity for us to celebrate being the bride. Romans 12.11 says, Never be lacking in zeal. And the word zealous there in the Greek is, it, it literally translates white hot boiling over. Never be lacking in a white hot boiling over, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't allow it to burn out. Don't allow the flame to just go down to coals. I, I want to talk about what that looks like. What are some areas of our life that we can have a passion for the king that is in our life, that we are in relationship with. How many of you have ever watched uh, the show Survivor? Like the, it's like a, what do they call them? Um, reality TV show. Yeah, Survivor. Any, like this isn't a trick question. You're not going to get in trouble if you watch the show. It's not it's like, you're like, I don't know. I think he's going to come down on us for watching secular t- TV or something. Like, no, like. Our family watches Survivor. I had somebody text me in the middle of the message saying they've watched every episode of every season of Survivor since it's come out. And so I responded with, you need to get a life. Like, there's (laughs) problems with that. No, I didn't say that. I know who it was, so I kind of did say that, and I was just joking. But uh, so now, I don't know, if, you, if you've watched it in the early days, watched it now, I'll get, it, get to the point here. It, now, fire making has become a more prominent uh, part of the, the, the competition. Like, like now, uh, if there's a tie, you, it goes down to fire making, and there's two people, and they, they have all of the materials to make fire, and they got a flint and a knife, and, uh, and there's a string that's tied up there, and the goal is to get your fire big enough, build it big enough so that it, it burns through the string, and then a little flag pops up. I don't even know how that works, but it's pretty awesome when it does. And it pops up, and they win the fire-making challenge. Well, oftentimes what will happen is they will uh, kind of get their, their stuff together, their kindling together, and, uh, and they'll, they'll start striking the flint, and it'll get in there. And there's just a little bit of an ember there, and they'll, they'll start blowing on it, and they'll fan it, and, and they try to get that thing to, to catch And when it catches, then the goal is to build that flame up. But oftentimes, the first person to get their fire going and getting it big, it's almost like close to the string, and you're like, this is amazing, it was so fast. Inevitably, what happens is it begins to die. Because they didn't put the necessary kindling on there, the things that would continue to burn. It was just a a flash in the pan, a burn that would just go so quickly, and now they don't have anything, and they're having to light it again. I hope that we as Christ followers are a people who who are methodical about putting on the flame the things that we can be passionate about in our relationship with God so that our fire never burns out. However, I'm aware of the fact that there may be some here, some watching online with us that that maybe you feel a little bit like, like this previous one where it's, it's just kind of, man, when I first got saved, 
it was like, I was on fire for the Lord. And then somewhere over time, it's just gotten to a place to where now I'm, I barely even have any coals there. My hope this morning is to, to, to fan the coals, to put some kindling on it, to, to build that back up. Not that I can do that in and of myself, but through the Holy Spirit and through the conviction that God has in our life to be someone, a teacher who can come and just, just get that thing going and, and bring it back into a flame. So here are some four areas of passion. People's perspective of Jesus is, um, is often misled. I think it's, it's our fault. We, we've painted this picture of Jesus, literally painted pictures of Jesus, and put them in churches, put them in, in, in foyers and cathedrals and stuff, and it's this picture of a docile uh, man, somebody who's meek and mild, somebody who uh, you know, probably you wouldn't want to go hunting with you, uh, like, like that kind of, of person, like, you know, never harm anything, never do anything rough or that. It's an interesting thing because on one hand, there is part of Jesus that was very attractive, very attractive, not in his physical features because we don't know that, but, but in, in the fact that he drew people to him. There was something about Jesus that people wanted to be around, even kids, right? I mean, you remember the story where Jesus is there. He's teaching the people, and the kids come around. They hop up on his lap. They want to be around Jesus. The disciples are like, get out of here, you little angle biters. Like, like go. And, and Jesus is like, no, like, come. Let the children come unto me. And, and, and so there was something about Jesus that was attractive. But it didn't mean that Jesus didn't stand up for for justice, it didn't mean that Jesus didn't have a backbone. He wasn't just this mild, meek person that just always was a pacifist and just, you know, didn't ever stand up for what was right. Jesus did stand up for what was right. And he fought on people's behalf. In John chapter 2, we see one of the most, one of the harder stories for us to, to, to grasp because we have this picture of Jesus as this kind, sweet man, and, and now all of a sudden we're seeing Jesus in a little bit of a different light because in the temple area, so in the church, he saw these merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. And I want you to read this next line together. Jesus made a whip. Like, he wasn't just upset, right? I mean, he, he's like, listen, guys, come on. Like, this isn't a place for that. Let's get the sheep and the cows out of here. No, he, Jesus is over there, and he's like braiding a whip. And he's just watching this, and he's fuming, He's like, mm. and, and like, I don't think Jesus was swearing, but, but, but he was upset. And so he's making the whip, and, and, and he gets this whip, and now he's got a weapon. <laughs> you're like, is this in the Bible? Are you sure? Like, you're like going through, they're like, that's a weird translation. It's the New Living Translation. It's a, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a paraphrase, but it, it's a whip. 
and he's walking into the temple now. He's got a whip in his hand. And you're like, yes, that's a Jesus I can get behind. (laughs) And I emphasize behind because you don't want to be in the front of that whip. (laughs) And he starts driving these cattle out, and he's driving out these money changers. And he says he drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers, coins over the floor. He turns over and just kicking tables. See how I did that with my broken hip? It was good. Um, But the real problem here were the doves. He says then, it says then, going over to the people who sold doves. It's like cattle, sheep, their problem. I'm dealing with the doves. And he tells them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And at first we're like, what is this story all about? But then his disciples, who were watching, by the way, right? I don't know if they were braiding the whip or what, but, but they're watching. They're standing by. This is their mentor, and this is the one who is teaching them, their rabbi. And, and they're thinking, I, I think he's lost it. Like, like he's going crazy, but this, and then they remembered this. They remembered a prophecy from Psalm 69 where it says, passion for God's house will consume me. There was a passion for God's house, a passion for the church. That it wouldn't be perverted, that it wouldn't be used in some sort of commerce, but that it would be used to glorify God and to be passionate of our God. So four things that we find that we can be passionate about. We see these things throughout Scripture. We believe that God is passionate about them, and we should be too. The first is this, a passion for prayer. Many people view prayer as this somber situation. Like we've gotten to a place uh, in our culture today where uh, when we pray, uh, pastors say things like, uh, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. There you go. I just want to see how, how churched we were this morning. So bow your heads, close your eyes. We say it almost every Sunday, like bow your heads, close your eyes. Be quiet. Be still. Be somber. This is supposed to be a sacred moment in your life. But it's not really what we see in Scripture and prayer. In in the Bible, what we see is when they prayed, they all collectively raised their voices together. Like if I were to just say, hey, I want everybody in the room, and those of you who who are watching online, we can't hear you, so that would be weird, but everybody just start talking right now. Like, you're so uncomfortable that I'm going to actually make you do this that you're like, I am, I don't, I'm getting out of here. Um, it would be weird, right? Like, what? Like, like let's, let's just test it. Kelly's, Kelly's like, oh. And she, she's also saying, you're going off of your notes and you always go long when you do that. I want everybody all at once. We're gonna. I think we can. We have the uh, the Lord's prayer at least somewhat memorized. Just the first part. Just all at once. Ready? One, two, three. Go. Our Father who art in heaven. Yeah. Just scream it out. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like, that's what prayer's supposed to be. Right? And the show-offs that are there to pray the longest because they know it. It's not supposed to be just this quiet, still thing. It's supposed to be a collective raising of our voice to our God in prayer. And I want to I challenge you with something. I want to see just what would happen if you were to pray for the next 30 days, but you can't pray for anything that you need. What would that look like? That you would pray, but not for anything that you need. I bet you'll have a hard time coming up with things to pray about. That's a real challenge, by the way. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. Matthew 21, 13, it says, It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer. We at Lifehouse, who we are is we pray. We're passionate about prayer. The, effective, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5, 16. In the past, I've used the statement uh, that we make prayer our first response, not our last resort. Many will go through this life in our self-dependency, our self-reliancy, and be able to say, well, I've tried everything. Let's pray and see what God can do. And I would say, let's pray, and then we'll try everything. Let's see what God does. If, if, if you are new we have prayer every Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. We have prayer that's available after the last song or, or during the last song every single Sunday. We have people who are available to pray. The people that are here to pray on Sunday mornings are people that we have vetted. We've assigned them to be a part of the prayer team. They come on Thursday nights and we say, listen, if you're going to be on the prayer team, we want you to be a part of Thursday nights. Did I say Sunday nights? Thursday nights. Uh, but just because you come on Thursday nights don't necessarily mean you're on the prayer team. It's a process. Here's the other thing I would say is, if you need prayer, we have prayer available on Thursday nights. Like if you're just having one of those weeks and you're just dealing with this, you know, situation after situation and you're just struggling and you're, you're like, God, what is going on? Come to prayer. And we promise we'll lay hands on you, we'll anoint you with oil, and we will pray for you. And it will be a fervent prayer. The second thing that we have a passion for, and we've ta been talking about this a lot, we have a passion for praise and worship. The Psalms are the most demonstrative verses in the Bible in regard to how we praise and worship our God. Jesus says in Mark 12, 30, he says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Psalm 103, 1 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. We're going to continue to beat this drum about worship, and that was a bit of a pun, and I did totally intend that. We, have a, we want to have a renewed passion where we are leading people in praise and worship. And honestly, we have a renewed passion to lead people to live biblical lives and, and to carry that out in every aspect of their life, and praise and worship is one of them. 
Think about in an arranged marriage. If, if you're in an arranged situation, and I'm mindful that there might be some who are in a, in, not in an arranged marriage, but still this may resonate, and I'm sorry for that. But if you're in an arranged marriage, there's probably not a whole lot of affirmation that's taking place. Right? If you're in, in a marriage, and, and even, even just in a marriage that you chose to be in, there was probably a time in which there was just this love and, and passion, and, and over time what happens is sometimes if you don't work on your marriage, what will happen is it'll begin to kind of fizzle a little bit, and the passion that you once had isn't there. You, you forget to affirm one another, and now there's, there's just, it just feels somewhat lifeless, and when that takes place, when that happens, you end up in counseling, hopefully, or you end up in my office as an initial step towards counseling, and, and we start talking about, well, where, look back to when you first fell in love, what was it that you loved about them, and start speaking those things. That's what praise and worship is. See, at times what happens is we fall in love with Jesus, we fall in love with the king, and then what, over time we just get comfortable and we forget to praise and give affirmation towards the king. There's a story of David in Scripture where the presence of God um, is contained in what's called the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a lot of circumstances surrounding it, but the, the, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was taken from the, the people of Israel, and David is now king, and he's getting the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, he's getting it back, and he's returning it to Jerusalem. And there's a story that talks about praise and worship in the midst of this. They had to be so cautious as they were carrying this. There were specific rules and specific circumstances, but they're carrying, they're eight miles, eight miles from, I think there's a song about that, eight miles from Jerusalem, and they, they're carrying the presence of God with them. And Scripture tells us that they took six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. They took six steps, and David, King David, stops them. And says, we need to stop and celebrate and praise God that we have his presence. So they make a sacrifice. They, they sacrifice an animal. They stop. They praise. They celebrate God. And guess what they do? They take six more steps. And they stop and they celebrate and they praise God. And then another six steps. And 14,000 steps later, and a lot of praise, and a lot of sacrifice. See, I, I just, I think we just get, we get so comfortable that we'll go weeks without praising him. We'll take a lot of steps in our life. We count our steps. <laughs> if you got one of these, you count your steps, you know, you're like, oh, fantastic, I got like 12,000 steps today. How many of those steps did you stop and praise God? Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 6. When David returned home to bless his household, this is the response he got. Six steps, praising God, praising God, praising God. He gets home to his wife. 
the daughter of Saul, she came out to meet him and said, oh, very sarcastically, by the way, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, well, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people, Israel. And he says, and you ain't even seen nothing yet. I will celebrate before the Lord, and I will become even more undignified than this. Well, I'm glad you agree with that, because I don't like this verse. I consider myself somewhat dignified. I consider myself put together. I don't want to embarrass myself. I'm not going to do something that I deem as weird. And I have a lot of things that I deem weird. So I, I have an insecurity in my life that doesn't want to present and, and, and sing out or celebrate or dance or any of these things. I don't want to be more undignified than I already am. And I'm not very undignified. This is the response that David comes to after celebrating. And somewhere along the line in our culture, our worship has gotten to a place to how we feel. And I would say, he deserves what we do. We give God what he deserves, not what we feel. I hear all the time, like, well, I'm just not feeling this song. So? So what? Like, like give him what he deserves, not what you feel. Like, well, I'm just, you know, I was up late last night. I'm just not feeling like worshiping. I'm on the front row. I need my coffee. I just, ah. <laughs> Conviction. He deserves more than that. Our king deserves more, not not what we feel he deserves. We give him what he deserves. He doesn't say, uh, if you feel like clapping your hands. Kelly's like, stop it. No, I think the scripture says, clap your hands, all you people. And if you if you were Southern, you'd say, all y'all. All y'all, clap your hands. All y'all, it's a word. Just look it up. It's in the Southern Dictionary of Pastor Ryan. Number three, we have a passion for growth. You might be thinking, well, okay, here it is. Is Every pastor is passionate about the size of his church. And I'm not talking about that kind of growth. I really am not. I'm talking about your personal growth, my personal growth, our spiritual formation. How are we growing and being equipped in the knowledge and understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower? That we're actually being equipped to go and do the work of the ministry. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He has started something in you. From the moment that you surrendered your life to Christ, even before you were formed in your mother's womb, he has started something in your life and he will see it to completion. 
2 Kings 10, 16, this is Jehu. He said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. When people encounter you and I in the real world, outside these walls, do they see a zeal for the Lord? James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's be passionate about growing in our knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he has for our life. I don't like the language, uh, I want to be used by God. Because it has such a negative connotation. Nobody wants to be used. I want to be utilized by God. We all have a need to be needed. I want to be utilized by God for his kingdom. Let's be passionate about growing in our knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he has done for us. If you've ever met somebody who's brand new to the faith, it's just a refreshing breath of fresh air because they're so hungry. They're so excited to learn more and more and more. And somehow, I don't even know why, whether it's the enemy of our souls, but there's just over time. Years will go by. Time will go by. And it's almost as if time is is sucking the oxygen out of the fire. It's, it's, it's suffocating the flame. Maybe it's time for us to just fan the flame and begin to learn and grow, be excited once again to know how God sees us. I hope that we can be a voice in this world and not just an echo to it. Number four, that we would have a passion for people. We would follow God. God has a passion for people that we would have a passion for people. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, the whole world, not half of the world, not a certain part of the world, for God so loved the world. Acts 20, verse 24 says, But my life, this is a really sobering verse. I'm just going to warn you right now. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. We have a mission that we are on, and if we do not fulfill the mission that God has assigned us, our life is worth nothing. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. People who passionately enter their life circle with determination and intentionality saying, God has sent me to the people that he's placed in my life and I'm going to do my best to be a person of peace, exuding the fruit of the Spirit in every aspect of my life. I kind of did some reverse engineering on this. I, I would say that A life not lived for others is not a life. Like if you find yourself discouraged, if you find yourself bored with your faith, if you find yourself just, I don't know about this. My guess is that somewhere along the way, your life has become more about you than it has about other people. 
And I'm as guilty and convicted by that as I hope that you feel as well. For some, the, the fire is, is just some, some, burnt, some coals in the, in the pit. And, and it, maybe we don't use the word pit in life. And you just need it fanned. You just need some, some kindling on it. For some, you've just let the flame go out completely. Just out completely. And, and Jesus talks about this. He addresses this. He says in Revelation 2, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. And then it says, Consider how far you have fallen. And I want us to just stop for a second, and I want you to think about that. Maybe this doesn't apply to you this morning, and that's okay. Just sit quietly. But I would just invite all of us to just take a moment and say, Man, I remember what it was like when I first started following Jesus. And and, and I would just for a moment, I'm going to consider how far maybe I've come from that point and how far I've fallen. Just take a moment and do that. And then, finish the verse. It says, repent and do the things you did at first. Because if you don't, if you don't repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What was it like when you first fell in love with Jesus? What was the passion that you had the affirmation, the celebration, the freedom that you walked in. Go back to that. And begin to just build on the passion of prayer, the passion of praise and worship, the passion of people in your life. That's what this is all about. 